I'm not sure if you guys remember the uh, the old Dos Equis commercials with the most interesting man in the world. Um, but my guest today, Mike, kind of reminded me of like the philosopher version of that, if you will. Um, so, so Mike, he, he's done a lot of things in his life. He's, he's managed restaurants. He's been a teacher, a vice principal. He's indexed books. He's published five novels himself. He played in a professional rock band. He's visited all different countries. He's tried all different experiences. Um, and, and I was excited to talk to him because philosophy is something I love and, and I love studying it. I love reading books about it. I've taken some classes in it and, and it's really interesting to think about it academically. But to me, true philosophy, like actually living philosophy in its pure form is something I find fascinating. And I, and I think that's Mike. I think he is a philosopher through and through. That's how he approaches life. It's kind of his, his, um, his purpose almost in life, if you will. And he started with the value of integrity. And he, he explained that as, or he defined it as acting in accordance with your own standards. And he, and he kind of started with a pretty provocative statement to say he believes really all the problems in the world stem from people not acting with integrity. Again, in the way that he defines it. So it's not to put like a, a an objective, blanket, moralistic view of the world on people. It's just to say we all have to figure out what our standards are and then just act in accordance with them. Not that that's easy, but that's the goal. That's what he's striving for. And, and most of the time we miss out on that. We, we either don't identify what our standards are or we don't act in accordance with them or, or both. So right off the bat, kind of diving into that leads to a bunch of fascinating discussions, right? We tried to get into all of it. We talked about how do you figure out your standards? Why is it so hard to act in accordance with them? Uh, what happens when your standards conflict with somebody else? We talked about the golden rule of treating people how you want to be treated. And does that actually work? A lot of those types of things. So in short, um, Mike was kind of like, it felt like kind of um, kindred souls, if you will, because uh, I think we're very similar in, in many ways in how we think and how we approach the world and, and really just thinking about life and constantly analyzing and questioning things. So again, made for a really interesting, fun conversation. Um, you know, we talked about things like murder, suicide, love, astrology, drugs, the environment, really across the board, because the, that, that approach of trying to live with integrity and figuring out how to be consistent and how you move through the world, um, it, it should apply to all those different things. So we, we kind of went there throughout the conversation. And, and honestly, it was one of the more intellectually and philosophically enjoyable conversations I've had. Um, and hopefully through all kind of the philosophical ramblings and, and the bromance that we started to develop, you guys find some insightful nuggets um, that might help you think about life differently. Maybe have a better day today than you did yesterday, whatever it might be. Hopefully you find it useful. Uh, but big thanks to Mike for being on and let's get to the episode. Mike, thanks so much for being on. Appreciate you making the time. Appreciate you talking to me today. Um, let me get right to it with the first question. What's the value that's most important to you? Yeah, this one was pretty easy for me. It's integrity. That's it. Integrity. It begins and ends with that. So talk to me a little bit about that. I guess, firstly, how do you define integrity? Sure. Um, I, define, I define integrity by acting in accordance with your own standards. So um, it doesn't matter what the legal standards are. It doesn't matter what the cultural standards, social standards. It matters what your standards are. So if you get offended when someone throws a paper bag out the window, you should not throw a paper bag out the window. So your personal integrity is keeping in accordance with the values you hold for other people and yourself. Is it, is it, so I like that. Firstly, um, there's a degree of like consistency with that, which I value a ton. And I think it's like, Hey, if I'm going to have an issue with that there, I need to have an issue with it everywhere. I need to hold myself accountable. Is it, um, just to put it simply, 
to get your reaction. Is it, is it on principle of like, Hey, that's just logically on principle, you should be consistent or is it deeper? Is there more moralistic aspect to it? It's definitely deeper. It's um, basically, I see it as the only solution to every problem on earth, which is Ooh. that um, even if we don't agree on the standards, we need to agree on our willingness to uphold the standards we agree to. So um, I think, I don't think the problem like with murder is that someone murdered someone. I think the problem with murder is that not everyone agrees with the principles behind what would lead to the murder. So in other words, mm. if someone embezzles money, that's a lack of integrity because they wouldn't want someone stealing money from them. That's pretty obvious. Mm. If you value money and you want to collect it by whatever means, then you clearly expect people to let you keep that money. You wouldn't, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. uh, actually, you know what, just to be fair, if a thief values the thief's code, then that's fair. That's integrity. Well, and that's so, true, right? Because that's yeah. that's where I think it gets interesting because yeah. life is about nuance. So I think it's, there's a little bit of like a golden rule aspect to this of treat others mm -hmm. the way you want to be treated. And what I always think about with that is like, but people might have different value systems, obviously, very much in the spirit of why I do the show. And the way I want to be treated might not be the way you want to be treated. So I may treat you a certain way that actually isn't is consistent with me. And I am, um, you know, exhibiting integrity, but there's still an issue there. There's still a conflict because your version of it is very different. How does that, does that throw a wrench in the whole thing or how does that fit in? It doesn't throw a wrench in because it actually makes people more clear on like what conflict is. And then once you know what the conflict is, so like, I don't want to get specific to American politics, but I kind of need to, to illustrate this point, which yeah. is we often talk about like, the problem in America is gun violence. And then I'll mm -hmm. say something like, no, the problem is violence. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, mm -hmm. and then someone else will be like, no, the problem is unchecked aggression. And like, mm -hmm. you know, so there's, and I don't disagree or agree with, well, I actually agree sure. with all three. So it's kind of like a weird pipeline. But what I do know is that if we can't even agree on the conversation, then we're certainly not getting closer to a solution. We're mm -hmm. getting further from it. So when so I look like, at like, yeah, sorry, please. Uh, no, 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 I'm sorry to cut you. Uh, so there's, there's like an efficiency play here, which is like, yeah. I think what you're getting at, which I, I, I get there eventually. Um, <laughs> if we all practice integrity, then all our cards are on the table. We know what we're dealing yes. with. And then we could take the most logical, rational, pragmatic steps to address it. If people aren't acting in integrity, then we don't know what the hell's going on. I don't know what you believe or what I believe. You don't even know what you believe or I believe necessarily, yeah. right? So it's so much more inefficient for us to get to a better answer at the end of the day. Yeah. And I think some of this ties into too, like this fancy term cultural relativism, which I think actually really does play into this a lot. Um, my favorite example is you're not supposed to tell an indigenous tribe anywhere in the world what they can or can't do, yet you feel very violated when you hear about genital mutilation of young, like prepubescent females yeah, in like yeah. a tribe. And that like rankles feminists, it rankles misogynists. Like, I mean, both sides are kind of like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Meanwhile, like a person, again, to get back to this, I, I like to focus on murder because I think there's really like three types of murder. There's like a truly random kind. And then there's a murder of passion, which most Western governments recognize. We actually say like, oh, no, no, we're going to treat your trial differently. And then the third type of murder would be like uh, the involuntary, like accidental, you know, so like not um, so, so a mass shooting event would be an example of like someone who's kind of like homicidal and whether they planned it or premeditated or not premeditated, it's certainly not a crime of passion by the way I'm defining it. Mm. Whereas if someone steals from you and you go to their house and say, give me that back and things escalate and you murder them, that to me is a murder of passion. Mm. 
Mm. Okay. And, and that would be because integrity didn't match up. The integrity didn't match up. Well, let me go back to the, to the, yeah, to the cultural relativism for a second, because I okay. think yeah. there's something interesting in that thread. And, and it probably applies to the murder one too, but it's just clicking in my mind a little bit more on like the, the genital mutilation, because I guess the, 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 so you, you'll start to get like the spirit of the show. I, I love good ideas. And I think the way we understand good ideas and make them useful as we pressure test them. And so that's kind of the spirit of what I, I want to do. So is there an issue with the approach with integrity? Does it fall down? Because in the case of the general, mutil general mutilization, mutilation, you could see somebody make an argument that says, well, if, if people in that culture are okay with it, then we, you know, then we can practice our own integrity. We don't have to like it, but if they like it, let them do their thing. But there becomes like this macro view of it of like, can we trust humanity? <laughs> like them saying they're okay with it. And I'm not saying they are okay with it or aren't. We're just using it as like the thought exercise. Yeah. Can we trust that they're okay with it? Did they have a fair chance to decide on their own what integrity actually meant for them? Or were they influenced by some greater force or society to think that they're okay with this, but they're not. And that's where somebody might say, well, now I have a right to step in and say, that's not okay. I have a right to tell somebody that their version of integrity doesn't work and they should change it. How do we think about that? Does that? Yeah, no, great questions. Um, I think I wanna skip back like seven points and just make one uh, yeah. caveat, which is, I think my plan with integrity is to reduce conflict, not eliminate it. And I okay, think if I fair. say that, it kind of like makes this conversation easier. This conversation is still valid, needs to be had, but at least like I sound more pragmatic and realistic. Sure. To There's no like dream scenario yeah. where magically everything yeah, is, yeah. everybody's happy. I mean, because of course I am a utopian ideologist who thinks like we can all love each other. And, you know, I went to Ecuador and tried plant medicine. So I've had my own like, you yeah. know, spiritual backgrounds that have led me to being a 40, almost 41 year old who pronounces, you know, announces these things on a podcast, but yeah. I do think I'm moving in the right direction because I know that I'm more peaceful with conflict with this system. And that's something I, I really would beg people to consider is that the world is as you are is a very like famous phrase. And it's really true. Like if you're in a bad mood, everyone's cutting you off. No one's letting you in. Uh, that store was closed because they hate you. You know, we all get in these like very mm -hmm. egomaniacal mm -hmm. bad moods. And then other days you're like, the sky is open. The sun is up. Everyone's, you know, and like, but really the world is exactly the same. Yeah. The pollution hasn't changed. The president's the same. The economy's roughly the same. You know, it's one day to the next. So, so I think reducing your feelings of conflict comes with being integritous because I don't know if that's a real word, but I when like you it, have integrity, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you act with an integrity, you feel a lot better about yourself and you feel a lot better about like other people maybe taking the same leap of faith. And so again, you, you have checked this well with the whole thing of, well, what if their integrity just like sucks according to you, like a thief's integrity. Mm -hmm. um, that is certainly something you have to understand. But instead of saying they're wrong, they're bad, they shouldn't do that. You're just like, oh, that's their integrity. Mm. I'm not right or wrong. They're not right or wrong. And then you're at an impasse. And then what you do with that impasse is very like deeply personal, psychological, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I believe because I don't like to be controlled and I have issues with authority that authority and control is the opposite solution that most people think it is. Yeah, so I think going to get you to the yeah. outcome through that route. Yeah. 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 I get that. I do. I get that. I think it's an important distinction you make. I'm glad you clarified that. Cause and I think it ties back to what we were saying before a little bit about the efficiency play of integrity, yeah. right? It doesn't guarantee you positive results. It doesn't guarantee you that utopia world, but it, it puts the numbers more in our favor that we can get to a better outcome. And I think at the root of some of that, 
it, very much what you're saying is that in some ways, like because of the design or the way in which our human minds work, the influence and, and all the different factors that, that influence us and, and external things that, that drive us in different ways, it's very hard for us to see the world for what it is, to your point, right? Like you have a bad day, everything sucks. You have a good day, everything's great. To get to like a true, true clarity on what the world is, integrity is a tool to help us do that. Because it's almost like you predetermine when you're thinking as rationally as you can before all those factors come in, how you think about the world, what you view it as, so that you have that when, when the bad mood does kick in, you still have that like reference point that grounds you to say, okay, but this is what I actually think, therefore I'm gonna act in this certain way. Rather than kind of just swaying with the wind that is the world, it gives you that anchor to act from, which I think there's a lot of truth to that because I often say, um, I don't think we should trust our own minds nearly as much as we do, um, <laughs> yeah. because exactly as you're articulating and integrity is a tool to help us do that in some ways. Yeah, to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I get that. All right, so let me ask this, let's go back, let's backtrack a second. You touched a little bit. One of the reasons I was excited to talk to you is, as I said, this show can get philosophical. I, I, I love philosophy, but I love philosophy in its purest form. You know, I, I love reading philosophy books. I love people that have philosophy debates. I took a philosophy class in college, but academic philosophy has its use, but real life philosophy is what excites me. And in many ways, I think you might agree with this. Like you're practicing, you're, you're actually practicing philosophy in life. You're experiencing it. You're talking to people. You're trying these different things. You are in many ways, a philosopher, not a student of philosophy, but a philosopher, mm -hmm. I would say. Um, where did that all come from for you? Was that something that was from when you were a young age? That's just how you thought, or did you life experience get you there? Uh, little column A, little column B, but much more of A. I think, uh, yeah. and actually it's funny because I have children and I've definitely observe this firsthand. I don't believe that nurture is a big part of what a human develops into. I think nature is so much of it. So I remember these weird memories as a kid of like staring at the playground and just being confused by the chaos of it all. Like I have these vivid memories of feeling like sad and alone in a big group. And I remember like being a much nicer, better person when I was really young and innocent than I was from like six to like 18, 20, you know, like I, I, I like, I like saw how things should be. And then it crushed me. And I, and I, and I always stayed a philosopher, but then I wasn't self-aware at all. So the reason I said a little bit of column B is that life handed me a couple bowls of shit. And, uh, that really helped me be much more like not fake humble or real humble, but just like actually aware of the fact that I, I really don't know what the hell's going on. Mm. And I would love to know what's going on, but I'm not going to, I'm pretty mm. sure of that. Mm. So I'm just going to try to be as integrity driven as I can. I'm just going to try to like, you know, but, but the philosophy part, like, first of all, I do call myself a philosopher now very, very recently. I started calling myself because I realized there's no other word for what I do. Yeah. Is, yeah. I just constantly think I can tell we're the same. I mean, it's very obvious when you meet mm -hmm. someone else mm -hmm. like yourself like this. And it's just like, I can picture you going through the day and like, you're just seeing yes. the world, you're narrating it back to yourself, you're <laughs> reflecting, oh, that would be a good topic for a podcast. Maybe I'll write about that later. Uh -huh. Whether you write it and release it, whether you keep it to yourself, like we, we people exist. I, I index books uh, for part yep. of my income. And so I just get these books thrown at me all the time. And I do a lot of philosophy textbooks for colleges. So they do mm -hmm. influence me and like uh, moral relativism, not cultural rel relativism is also very interesting to me because it, it is, it's certainly true. And, you know, so, so yes, philosophy to me is important. And I do think that when people see therapy, therapists, I think they're really just seeing a person to train them in philosophy. It's all, it's kind of the same, but the pH sound is even similar. Yeah, you know, we have yeah. 
the, these sciences are all quote unquote pseudosciences, but they're to me the same. You're trying to figure out your worldview, your self view, and then how to live with both. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and it's interesting too, because my journey was similar in that when I, when I first, I think I'm probably very similar to you, always had these thoughts, these views, and then life kind of hands you some shit, as you said, and you start being like, and for me, I started more directly psychology, sociology, because I was like, I want to understand the mind and how it works. And I want to get to a first principles level. But it's a very quick transition when you start following that thread where you get to philosophy, because to understand the mind, you have to understand the context in which it exists and why we're here and what's going on. So I think it's a very natural progression. And you're right, super relatable and resonates with me. Let me ask you this in the spirit of the philosophy question. So back to your value of integrity, the way you think of it, the philosophical viewpoints, the thing about integrity is it, it, it presupposes you've identified things that are important to you and you have confidence that those are the right things. Therefore, you want to practice integrity towards those things. The struggle I always run into, I think it's a cliched philosophical struggle is, okay, but how do I pick those right things? How do I know what actually is the right choices for things to be consistent about and to hold integrity around? And that's where, you know, it becomes very subjective and there's no clear answers and meaning of life starts coming in and all that stuff. How have you thought about that for you? How have you picked the things you want to hold integrity towards? Well, I should have said this like 10 minutes ago, but you ask great questions and no, you're really fun to talk to. So thank you. Yeah, no, this is like, I'm, I'm having a blast. I just answered <laughs> the clock and I was like, no, there should be more time. And like, you know, I have to go to work after this. And I'm like, I don't even want to. So just thank you. That It's really fun. I appreciate um, it. I would love for, I would love for pop culture to have more uh, exposure to these kind of conversations, you know, and that's actually uh, why I got into like podcasting period was I just sudden, I was like, Oh, there are a lot of people who want to just have like these casual conversations and yeah. see where they go. And then there's no purpose to it. I'm not selling something, you know, no, like, let's just have it um, for the conversation. Yeah, let's just yeah. have it. Yeah. So I, I appreciate that. And I think to get back to the question, it's like, there's something weird going on where we want to like, know the plan but we kind of know that we can't know the plan so we have to like make the plan and i think for me i look at like when i was a kid i really idolized people like my first idol was like jim morrison and then it was kurt cobain i started to notice a trend i'm like oh i idolize people who have extreme addictions and die young and like and i was like that's not a healthy like you know thing to idolize and so of course i got into drugs like earlier than most people but i also grew up in berkeley california so it's pretty normal there and when I say drugs, I mean pot, like, you know, yeah, I, yeah, but, yeah. but my point is, I, I do think that this is kind of like the nexus of what, what you asked me for me is when I look at like an older person who had like the best 20 years of like, you know, just drinking hard, playing rock shows and going out. And I'm like, I bet it was so fun. But then I'm like, but what is it like to lie in a hospital with lung cancer and like lose your family and everyone you love, you know, mm. you're losing them because you're dying when you're only 50 or 60, you know, like would I want to be Tom Petty on the way up to then dying in my opinion, tragically in his like mid sixties, mm -hmm. um, Prince, you know, like there's a lot of people. So I'm moving away from the Jim Morrison example yeah. where they died yeah. tragically young. Now we're getting into like, Oh, you lived a hard life and you're, you're not going to make it to 70, 80, 90, see the, the growth of the world. So that to me is so personal, but that is like my answer to your question is somewhere in there. There's this like, you got to check your integrity with how it makes you feel now and how it's going to make you feel later. Mm -hmm. So like, uh, it might feel good right now to take a second donut at the work meeting when you know that there's only enough donuts for every person, but then later you might feel guilty when you find out that the one worker you like didn't get the donut. And then mm -hmm. you're like, Oh, I wish if I known it was them, I would have not taken this, you know? So like, I look at that, like when I take 
like okay living in america you, you got to feel like kind of guilty when you really think about like mm-hmm. uh they you know if you eat a mcdonald's hamburger in the 1980s that meat came from like paraguay where they had deforested everything to grow cows to slaughter to sell to america mm-hmm. and so in america you don't see that you see like beautiful forests oh we have like these national parks so our life is wonderful here but it's at the you know expense at the at the expense of others and we all know this like everyone knows it. and then meanwhile there are people in you know slums and poverty ghettos here that live a horrible existence that is just as bad as uh, these other places we talk about and so it's it's very eye opening to think that not every american should feel guilty quote unquote not a, you know should is a weird phrase but yeah the guilt i just described is because i do live in a nice house and i do drive a nice car and i do know that like the even like the technology on my laptop and my phone was made at the expense of you know again defor i'm really into the environment so for me it's like deforestation it's not so much people that i'm worried about Mm -hmm. it's it's like taking from nature too much to the point where it's going to all spill over and that goes back to this like would you drink every day until 40 and then die of cirrhosis or would you not drink every day lived in 80 you know all right so let me let me unpack that a little bit because i think it's super interesting so on the one hand um there's a thread in that, which I very much agree with, actually, which is like, the only thing that's really tangible, like, there's no, there's no clear answers. We don't, we don't know anything for sure. So the only thing that's really tangible for us that we can ground ourselves in is we're making these decisions in life. Do I drink, you know, for 20 years or do I not? It's, it's, it's this sense of like a very generic, stupid term, but like overall goodness for us. Some people call it happiness, joy, satisfaction, whatever you want to call it. I think Aristotle had a fancier word for it, but whatever. Um, and you say, okay, I'm trying to maximize for that. That's that's exactly, I think, what you're saying. Like, sure, there would be some goodness in drinking and doing drugs for the next 20 years, but there would be more goodness being able to live till I'm 85 and experience things. So it's a very simple, in some ways, calculation to say, what gives me more goodness? And I think that makes a lot of sense. I think some people react negatively to that because it seems selfish or self-centered, but I don't think it has to be. As part of that goodness calculation, you can encompass the environment and your family and society and all of that can make you feel good. But still within that, there's these questions of like, how do I know though? Like, how do I know what's going to make me feel best or what, what brings the most goodness? Or, you know, there's also an aspect of it, which it's so complicated. So take what you said with the example, like maybe, maybe I care about the environment and, and, and people and, and, you know, people that live in poor conditions, but it's so hard to actually live with integrity towards that because you and I probably both conceptually could say, yeah, it's horrible what it takes to make an iPhone, but I'm going to use this iPhone today all day. And still <laughs> somebody, somebody would say that's not integrity with what you actually believe in. So a really long winded convoluted statement there, but like, no, no, it's good. How do we, how do we reconcile that? How do we actually feel like we're living with integrity and feel good about ourselves and that we're not just self-centered going after what makes us feel best on whatever time horizon we pick. So when I was in my, um, late teens, early twenties, I was really into astrology, um, like really into it because I was sure that these people could help me know when the car wreck that was going to kill me was going to be when, how to avoid, like, I was just very certain in it. So I would go and see a lot of like different astrologers and they would all tell me the same things about my origin and where I was headed. So I knew that there was some sort of like similar science to what they were doing, but what they never all agreed on was when or why things would happen really the when, um, And so one of them, though, when I went to see him, I just kept saying over and over again, I'm so concerned about the world. I just feel so bad. I feel so bad for like the animals and like all these things. And I I quit eating meat, but I still don't feel better. 
And he's like, well, that's because you're still killing. And I was like, no, I'm not. And he's like, did you drink water today? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, did the bacteria get killed when they filtered it and made the water safe to drink? And I was like, oh. And he's like, give up, give up right now. Stop pretending that you can lead a life where you don't affect others. He, you know, and this guy wasn't right about anything about my story. Like he was actually the most like patently wrong, but he changed my life probably the most of like any of these early experiences of mine. Um, real quick, I did actually end up meeting an astrologer later in life who's been phenomenally Very accurate. Good. So I'm not, I, I just want to throw that out there for people listening. But at the time, most of these people were just taking my money and telling me like flattering things. And, but this guy, he changed me so that a week later I started eating meat again. It was crazy. Now I'm a vegetarian again, but it's very different. The road I took back. What, what was, was it though? What was the calculation? What changed? Like, cause, cause this yeah. is, I think, and I know you'll appreciate this so often in situations like this, we, we, there's, there's benefit to us to create this illusion of simplicity or, being naive to certain things because as you start to unpack it exactly you said well now i can't drink water anymore because of that (laughs) what how did you process that in your mind to say okay it actually is okay to eat meat again and now maybe it sounds like back to not like what what was going on what was the dialogue in your head so at the time the reason i was a vegetarian and i would tell everyone this is i said i want to make an impact on the um factory farming situation in america and so i said my goal is very simple it's to be one less buyer it's a bycott and i heard that you know again your early 20s you're just full of so much energy and in a good way actually um people get so mad at young people for being angry and i'm like well i was plenty angry you know and so i'm glad that people still care because i'm like i said i'm 40 and i care a lot less um and that's sad uh but on the road to this vegetarian so yeah i I started eating meat a week later because I realized it was pointless and all my friends were eating it and I was going to the same bars and restaurants as them. And those places weren't changing the numbers of orders. They were getting just as much fried chicken. I also worked in restaurants, so I knew how much they threw out meat that Mm. doesn't sell. So I was like, this is even worse. Like they already slaughtered these animals. I might as well. So I started eating them. Then what happened was a few years ago, I just started noticing that there's like plenty to go around and I don't want it. And it was such a different like mind frame. I was, mm. It's not like I'm not hurting animals and I feel so self-righteous. There's no sanctimonious behavior now, which I think is the number one thing I would say to 20 year old Mike from 40 year old Mike is your sanctimonium like mayhem will just decline as you age mm-hmm. and you'll feel a lot better about life. Like you'll, you'll care less about what other people are doing, even when it's affecting you. Um, and so when I became a vegetarian the second time around and now it like sticks, like, I just don't want meat. I don't care. I don't like, mm. get excited. I know it tastes good, but like, I've seen that show a million times, you know? So is that, does that speak to, or, or maybe prove out the point that at the end of the day, because of everything you're saying, the complexity, the uncertainty, the interconnectedness of like we us ever thinking that our action actually ends in the outcome we think it ends because it's so infinite, the variables involved. The only thing we can do is figure out what actually matters to us for whatever reason it does, be thoughtful, right? And just live that way, live with integrity towards that. But that's, I, I'm not saying it is, but there seems to be such a thin line between that and being a selfish asshole. And that's I where totally I'm like, agree. That. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I am going to go back to something I said earlier, which is I can't deny how much of my, inf- uh, my personality has been influenced by uh, a trip to Ecuador where I tried ayahuasca plant medicine. And so I did it uh, three times in five days. And, um, I hate talking about this publicly because it's so cliche and like there's so many different versions of it, but my version is my version and my version changed me and I, I'm a much better, nicer person because of it. And every friend who knows me didn't notice it at first, but it's been like seven years now and I've had many people tell me like, wow, you like sit in a room differently, you chill differently, like you don't 
argue everything, you know? Um, and so what it taught me though, was it, it really taught me that you are supposed to be selfish in a certain way here. And then you're not supposed to be selfish at all in another way. And it made it very clear, but like, just as like, um, okay, I'm going to go out on a limb here, but you probably love someone right now. There's probably at least one person you love. You just like making them happy because you love them and you do. And there's nothing selfish about that. Unless you want to say that feeling good about helping someone else is selfish, which is fine to me. I'm okay with that circular argument. I'll never have a problem with that. Um, so I call it the mother Teresa argument. Like maybe she got off on helping other people. And so she just did it relentlessly. Great. Just like people get into biking and then they bike relentlessly. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. Um, but with this being said, what that drug experience reinforced in me was that the peak of joy is love and love is always inherently selfless, not selfish. But meanwhile, like a long-term plan to get a girlfriend or like getting married, those can be selfish. Like having a family can be a selfish desire, but the actual act of love, just like feeling love there's really no selfish or selfless thing to it. It just is this phenomenon. And so that's what it, it said over and over again was just pursue the things you love and be the loving person you were always meant to be. Which again, this goes back to these early, early memories I had when I was a kid, when I was just shocked watching kids fight, watching kids argue and yell. It was just shocking to me. And, and again, like I became a kid who argued and yelled. So it's not, you know. I, so, so I think the point you're making about love, Mike, it, it, is, is interesting because I think you're right. I think it's, to me, it's similar to that goodness thing where it's like, it's something so base and primal that we can ground ourselves in and say, if we're acting with love, out of love, that's the confidence we know it's the right thing. I, so I guess let's, let's press on that thread. You mentioned that love, the reason why we can do that is because in some ways we're saying love is inherently good. There's nothing, <laughs> there's no negative aspects to love. And I think the way you said it was like, by and large, you, you, you don't love somebody to be selfish or you don't do something for somebody you love to be selfish. You do it because you love them. Is that true? I guess is the question. Is it true that like if I do something nice for my wife, just to use it as a stupid example, am I doing that because I want to go out with my friends later and I want her to say yes, or I'm trying to butter her up for something or whatever it is like, do I know, I know, I think we all aspire for love to be that magical and it very well might be, but how do we know? Like, are we sure love can't be selfish? Yeah. So I think we're getting into intentionality now. And I okay. think intentionality is the beginning and end of this entire conversation. And only the person really knows and only the person with enough self-awareness. So um, did I, you know, I always wonder this because I'm, I'm a writer. Okay. And like, when you write, you try to sell your writing to someone. And when you try to sell it, you start to question why you wrote it. And okay. it's like this circular thing. And then like, I don't think like when I used to work uh, in restaurants, I didn't like, question why I was waiting tables. It was to earn money. There was no like disconnect between that. So when you do something you love, but then you also want to make money off of it, I think there is a selfish and selfless uh, aspect to both. So the intentionality is different. So my act of love is not writing to make money, but my act of love is writing to help reach people to make them feel better the way other writers did for me. But then the second part to it is certainly selfish in my opinion. So I would say um, the case you gave about like being nice to your wife so you can go out with your friends. I think that's very easy for me to judge as a selfish act that isn't of love. Um, it's a nice act. It's a kind act. It's like all these other words, but I would, I would say love has to be like thoughtless, primordial, not instinctual. Cause I don't want to confuse terms, uh -huh. but, um, 
although I would argue it probably is instinctual. I just don't want to, I don't want a scientific materialist or someone to attack this part. So I will just say that there's a weird thing. Total side note, I, I do find it weird that we associate the heart with love. I've always wondered about this like weird, like, because when I love, it does feel like it's in my heart, but it also feels like it's around me and above me. Um, And so falling in love, as I think the best example of the intentionality part, like, so you could pursue a beautiful woman in a bar with the intentionality of she's beautiful. I want her to like me. That's selfish. And there's no love in that. But then you could meet her and within 10 words, the two of you are just like, oh, Mm. I'm falling in love with this Mm. person that's very different from that moment on she's still the beautiful woman you approach the bar but now you're behaving it wouldn't matter if she was quote unquote ugly like nothing matters um when your loved one's in the hospital and they look like crap you're not thinking like man on our first date you didn't look like this you know like no one like when you truly love someone like especially um i had a friend tell me this the other day he said having kids changed me in a way that no drug or no other experience could because it's a weird form of love like you're just like throwing love at this little thing that like throws up on you punches you like you know and the, and the more it like messes with you for most parents not all the more you love it somehow it's like weird how that works so I, I think the example of a wife is a lot harder to dissect for me um also I, i've been divorced and i only realized in my second marriage my good one that i'm in right now that i didn't really love the first partner and she would accuse me of that and i would fight her about that so i find it ironic that like I was actually acting uh, like a person who was in love and I thought I was in love, but I wasn't. I was um, in strong like, I don't know what the word is, but. Yeah, I guess it's interesting because you're saying that in almost like a logical statement type thing, it's possible when you love someone in its purest form, it's not selfish. The intention is not selfish, but it's possible that in that act of love, it does generate some benefit for you that if you were only focused on that would be selfish. So let's go back to the woman in the bar, right? Like you see a beautiful woman in the bar, you think, hey, I'm sexually attracted to her. It'd be great to have sex with her, whatever. That selfishly, like I want to have sex with that woman. But then you happen to meet her and she's amazing and you fall in love and you are in love. You could still have sex with her and get benefit from that and selfishly want that, but it doesn't change the fact that there is love there. Like it could be multifaceted, I guess, or multidimensional, but the one aspect that is pure love does not have selfishness associated with it. There can be kind of those outer rings of it is what you're saying. Yeah, I get that. I get that. I think that makes sense. I think that makes sense. Um, And I think if you throw that in the writing example, it's the same thing. So like when I write from love, I wrote it, but then when I sell enough copies that I got a fat like paycheck, I'm very happy with that. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. But meanwhile, I wouldn't go back in time and like change how I wrote it. I wrote it out of love. Yes. Yes. Then I pitched it out of wanting it to sell. Yeah. <laughs> like, does well, that right. make sense? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's, I, I think what you keep coming back to, and it's, again, it's the, it's the value, it's integrity. There's a, there's a degree of integrity of being self-reflective and honest enough with yourself to identify the things you're doing out of pure love, which is just love. And that's great. And at times the things to where you were before that I am doing quote unquote selfishly. And I'm okay with that. I've thought about it. I know it's the right decision for me. I know this is what I should be doing and I need to make money for my family and I'm going to sell this book for that reason. So I get that. All right, let me ask this question as we come towards the end here, Mike, because this is, you, you touched on it with writing the book and you're right. There's so much similarity and so much that I'm like, oh yeah, that's exactly how I feel all the time. So in, in the spirit of being a philosopher um, and, and being a writer and kind of espousing that knowledge in some ways, I think you touched on it. One of the things I grapple with is this idea of like, 
as soon as I think I have wisdom that I want to share with others, there's something in that which starts to feel like once I think it's good enough or, or a high level enough of wisdom that it's worth sharing, maybe that's indicative of a blind spot that I have. Because if I was truly that wise in the spirit of the philosophers, I would, you know, maybe like a Socrates, I would say, I actually don't know anything. I can't say this for sure. I don't know that this is actually going to help somebody. I don't know this is actually wise enough. So there's this weird dynamic where it's we're seeking wisdom. And if we get some, we want to help people. But as soon as we feel a confidence level where it's like, oh, yeah, I know something that other people don't know and I could teach them. It almost as if like you've lost that wisdom by definition, which is a really weird, convoluted, cynical, like all the things approach to it. Do you think about that at all? Do you ever grapple with that as you're doing it? Yeah, I think about it all the time, especially because my parents uh, taught me to meditate when I was really young and they followed like a guru. And I was like, well, if this guru is so wise, yeah. why did he like, you know, and uh, so also, I mean, I've mentioned a lot of my occupations. I've lived like a varied life. So I was also a teacher for seven years and um, teaching was the most uh, love I've ever felt working for money, if that makes sense. Like it was like, amazing how often I would be getting paid to teach and I would be like oh I would I would talk to the student endlessly for an hour for free I'm helping this younger person than me and again it made it's this weird age thing but like I also like helping people older than me I know I've done that and, and vice versa but I was always like really attracted to older people who could help me like my whole life I would just like meet and hang out with people older than me so most of my friends were always 10 years older than me and like all my different hangout groups and uh it's because of the wisdom factor. It's because we not only perceive older people as being wiser than us, but generally speaking, a good life and a life well-lived does give you more wisdom. Experience. So sharing wisdom isn't bad or wrong and there's no like moral consequence to it. But when you talked about like, do I, you know, get in this circular dilemma? Yes, but only when I'm too focused on feeling like there's a purpose or a meaning to life when I'm in the other zone of my personality where I'm like, Oh, it's a free flow, baby. Who cares? Like tomorrow I could go to a concert and someone could blow up the concert tomorrow. I could go to a concert and someone could spill something poisonous on me. You know, like there's like a million ways to like exit this life. Um, I know a lot of people like hate talking about suicide. I, I get back to suicide almost all the time in these kind of conversations, because if you ask me why I write and, and expose like espouse wisdom to people, it's to help people not be depressed and not feel suicidal. Um, it's because when I was young and I started to have conflict, my first reaction was just like in a gym class when you don't want to do another push-up, it was just quit, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think like life has a lot of push-ups. Life has a lot of times where you're like, holding your body up and you don't like it, but you know, if you do it a little longer, you're going to have more muscle and tenacity. Mm. And so I think wisdom is a lot of like helping people see the point in the pushups, mm. like seeing the point in the struggle. And again, like where philosophy checks out, where it leaves is like with the Nietzschean dilemmas, like these things of like, well, what is the point of life? Is there a meaning? You know, nihilism is so scary to me. Yeah. It's so dark and yet it's so probably right <laughs> it's like well and and i think you're wrapping this up in the perfect way because it's that same thread of we don't know we don't know for sure and conflict and doubt and questioning and am i doing this for the right reason that's always going to be there that's just like that's what it's going to be but it comes back to where you started again with integrity of that sense of like if i know why i'm doing it and i've been thoughtful about the intentionality behind it and i'm living in accordance with what i believe to be true and in this case it's helping people and maybe preventing a suicide and i know i've done the work so i know i'm not bullshitting myself right because some people can make that like hey i'm helping people and then they're really assholes right it's that it's that being thoughtful enough to really question and reflect and then having the integrity to stick to it 
it's honestly, it seems like the only logical way because you could kill yourself literally figuratively trying to think through everything and figure it all out. Am I being honest here? Am I being right here? At some point you have to put a stake in the ground and say, this is what I believe and I'm going to stick to it. It's not that I'm closed-minded, I'm open, but that's why it, it, you've articulated beautifully why you picked integrity as your first value, as the most important value as you say that. And I think that's what I hope for in these conversations. We're all going to value different things. We're all going to have different perspectives. But to get to hear from somebody who's been super thoughtful about it and then hear it in long form of how it's actually real for them, the challenges of it, how they practice it, I think hopefully that's super beneficial for people. It is for me, at least, at the very least. So I appreciate you a ton, Mike, for being on and uh, having this convo. We could probably talk for 10 hours if we wanted to, but I, well, I we had like that. a awesome. Yeah, with the Wi-Fi cut out for a second. And so I got to talk to my wife right before she ran out the door with our daughter. And I was like, this guy and I would hang out for Easily. so long and make you so annoyed. I was like, <laughs> if he came over, <laughs> he would be like on the couch talking for like 15 straight hours. So, uh, uh, I actually do like a podcast, so I'm definitely going to ask you to come on it. Please, and, I love uh, it, man. Yeah. I might have you come uh, back. I, I, I haven't cool. started to repeat guests again, but I think when people have an authentic conversation like this, there's so much to be learned. So, yeah. And this goes it, back man. to that love thing. I feel the feeling of love right now. And that's, that's what is so fascinating to me is yeah. I feel and, better. My whole day is going to be better now. So. And and it's and it, there's positives yeah. to us that came out of it, but it's not coming from a yeah. selfish place. It's not like, no, not like I only wanted you on because I want to grow my podcast. No, no, no. The positive that I'm feeling from this is a pure place of that. Exactly. As you yeah. said. Yeah. Totally. Awesome. Man. Mission accomplished. Awesome. Appreciate it. <laughs> I hope you have an cool. awesome day. Yeah. Thank you so All much. Right. Talk to you later.